there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to the Living the Sky Life podcast. I hope that the content of each episode brings you hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways. The Special Needs Parenting Village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. Please connect with me through my website, Facebook page, or Instagram account, and let's keep this conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, please leave a rating and review or share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in to Season 2 of Living the Sky Life. Today's guest is another example of a mom who seeks out something, and if she can't find it, she develops it herself. So my guest today is Lisa Lane. She is co-director and co-founder of the Project Hope Foundation. A little bit more about Lisa. She grew up in Dillon, South Carolina, and attended the University of South Carolina, receiving her BA in philosophy, her MA in English, and eventually her JD from the School of Law. She joined a law firm and became partner in 1992. When her younger son was diagnosed with autism in 1996, she helped establish Project Hope Foundation as a nonprofit to serve those struggling with autism. She has gained expertise in the field of autism, participating in thousands of hours of applied behavior analyst sessions and becoming a board-certified assistant behavior analyst. She has met with hundreds of families of children with autism. Along with her co-director, Susan Sachs, Lisa has been instrumental in developing each of Project Hope's core programs, therapy, education, adult services, and community engagement. Lisa is a frequent speaker to civic clubs, educational groups, and community organizations. She's currently living in Woodruff, South Carolina with her son, Colby, who at 26 remains one of the inspirations for Project Hope Foundation. Please enjoy my conversation with Lisa Lane. Today's guest on the podcast um, is Lisa Lane. Um, I found Lisa and her organization, Project Hope Foundation, when I was perusing my most recent copy of um, Autism Parenting Magazine, and I was so excited to read about their story and how Project Hope came to be. So welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Thank you. Absolutely. And I'm sorry your partner, Susan Sachs, could not join us um, today, but um, I know you'll speak well on her behalf <laughs> about the organization. <laughs> sorry. She's sorry as well not to be here. <laughs> um, so I know that um, just from reading in the article that you have an older son on the spectrum um, and you told me he's 26 years old. Uh, I wondered if you could go back because it's kind of relevant to how Project, Project Hope got started if you could share a little bit about your journey um, with autism with your son and what is his name? His name is Colby, C-O-L-B-Y. He calls himself Colby Jack. So that's, uh, I will also do that. Although that is not his middle name. He (laughs) adopted that name. And, and so we use it frequently, but so I think my story, Lori, is a lot like, like many families, you know, um, although I date back probably earlier than, than some of your listeners, because back in the day when, when Kobe was born in 1994, uh, you know, we had a period of typical development the first year, really everything hitting milestones. He's my second son. So I had a little experience as a mom. And then about that one year mark, things just started to fall apart. 
Although I have to say, I didn't realize it at the time. It took me a few months to recognize that things he was doing, he was no longer doing, and he was not gaining skills. He was not uh, communicating and he had lost those initial words and he was no longer engaged with me. At the time, there was just so few resources out about autism. Yeah. It was back where you go to the library and uh, <laughs> what you could find was pretty grim. Um, I was very, very fortunate. You know how those things fall into your, into your path along this journey that can be turning points. And, and for me, it was being able to attend a conference in Spartanburg, South Carolina, which is very close to where I am, that highlighted autism, all the autism really big, big names at the time. So um, Lovas, who began sort of the ABA treatment of autism was actually there himself. Uh, and so I got to see some videos of what autism looked like and what some treatments were. And that's when I realized even before he was officially diagnosed, uh, at 18 months, he was officially diagnosed, but I realized he had autism. And so Susan and I came together as moms frantically looking for services. And we started a nonprofit in order to try to build some of those services. Project Hope Foundation, for us, that hope was the acronym of Help Our Potential Emerge. Oh, I and, love that. Yeah, it's a, and we need acronyms. We do that for everything to help us remember what we're talking about, but that, Project Hope started, our first service was a little inc inclusion-based preschool. You know, we had 18 kids in three little classrooms and our goal was to provide the opportunity for um, our boys and a few other children to have peer interaction along with the homegrown ABA therapy we were doing. And then over, gosh, almost 25 years now, we'll we're celebrating our 25th anniversary next year. Wow. Uh, we, we grew those programs. So we, we, our preschool grew up in ages, uh, um, expanded upward each year. Then in 2007, we started a therapy program and then we started an adult services program. And so now we've got those programs along with community engagement um, and are on eight campuses with 250 employees. And all those campuses are in the South Carolina area? They are. We're, we're pretty much in the upper part of the state. Uh, and, and so there we cover uh, four counties. So how did you and Susan meet? Were you guys friends just in the community and you both discovered that you had children on the spectrum no, or did you meet no. at a conference? <laughs> yeah, we did not. We, we met uh, because each of us was observing, wanted to observe an ABA session. At that time, ABA therapy was just yeah. not well known and it was yep. fairly controversial. And we had a mutual early interventionist who knew someone was going to try that program. And so we just went and sat and observed and, and left both of us thinking, gosh, we've we got to find this for our fellas. And then out of that search came the realization, and they also need other services that are just not available in South Carolina right mm -hmm. now. So did Project Hope start, as you said, like the preschool program? And then as you noticed that your sons, because um, Susan's son is almost 30, um, did you guys notice the skills and the things that they needed moving forward once they kind of graduated from the preschool level stuff and then it moved into, you know, additional skills and additional things they needed? Did you keep adding to Project Hope based on 
your sons and their needs? Or did people in the community come to you and say, you know, my child's 15 and this is where we are. Do you have anything for us? Right. Well, we sort of followed that chronological path, but the services that we developed were not particularly for our sons. Um, it, it expanded beyond that. But so we started with the preschool. Each of them were in one of those preschool classes and we grew up and they continued to be in school up through about our, our middle school. Uh, we always recommended to everyone that they do ABA therapy along with anything else they could get their hands on. But in South Carolina, we really didn't have a way to fund that until 2007. So as soon as a mechanism came into the state that allowed ABA to be funded through first a waiver and then through Medicaid uh, and then through some insurance companies, we, we jumped on that and started a program. So we had those programs running parallel, both of them expanding. And we were really fortunate with our, with our therapy program. We were able to graduate out about half of the kids that we worked with didn't need our schools. They could go on into the mainstream public and private schools and, That's great. and thrive. Yeah. The other half did need continued services. And so we expanded our education up into different tiers. So we have some that were more academically focused some that were more of a hybrid of therapy and, and school group learning during the day. And then some for those folks that just, we really need to focus on building a communication system and being out, out in the community. And then for our boys, they really didn't fit anymore in any of those school programs. So we started looking at adult services as well. And that, that has developed also through time. My, my son was nonverbal till age eight. And uh, his communication skills are still limited, although he is he's very verbal now. He he uses words not always, not always in the traditional sense, so mm -hmm. a little bit harder to understand. So he does more of a one-on-one -on -one setting for our adults. Uh, Michael, Susan's son, uh, gained more conversational skills, and he's in our uh, adult program that's engaged in printing t-shirts. We've got a printed oh, by cool. hope t-shirt business, uh, digital garment printing. So he's involved in that every day. So it, it, we've sort of, we moved up as they grew older and we've expanded out into different tiers of services with gotcha. residential being our, our next big hurdle. Well, I love the mission um, that you guys have uh, on your Facebook page and, and anywhere, I guess, that you can read about Project Hope of providing a lifespan of autism services. And that's where a lot of parents that I've met through doing this and um, in my own experience with a child that's entering adulthood very, very soon in a few months, um, mm -hmm. that you know services seem to end at 22 in a lot of states, 21, 24. And there, so for those of us with children that are very minimally to nonverbal at all, um, we're left not with really many options of places to send them. Um, and I know you guys have four core programs. Can you talk a little bit about those? Because I know that those services you were just talking about is part of one of those core um, sure. offerings. Yeah. So we have our ABA therapy program and that's the traditional sort of ABA model where we've got the board certified supervisors and our registered behavior technicians, sometimes called line therapists, depending yeah. on where you are in the country behavior technicians. So we, we do that primarily in clinics. We have eight campuses, eight clinics, and we have a 
uh, in-home model for some of our uh, youngest kids, and then we try to move them into our clinic-based models. So that program serves about 230 children at this point, as young as we can get them. You know, I think we've had <laughs> as, as, as young as uh, under two up through basically when the funding stops for therapy, which it depends on the funding source. Mm-hmm. And then we have education. So that is done sort of in a, a twofold way. We support our clients, our children who are able to go into other school settings. We have 12 schools now that we're partnering with where we are sending in our ABA trained shadows okay. or we are providing a, a BCBA, one of those supervisors to oversee and work with the teachers in that, in that program. In Greenwood, we, we're working with a whole district where we're providing support to those teachers. So we, so we work, we partner, but we also have our own school. We've got an accredited school that runs preschool through age 21, through, uh, through high school. And we've got those tiers of education within that. So we've got sort of a mainstream focus with our goal of pushing people out by fifth grade. Yeah. By the end. Then we've got the, the group that are with us our, our, our school setting is going to be the best for them because we can, mm-hmm. it's all a, it's all behaviorally based, but we're doing academics. We've got some who are diploma track, but a large number who are not, but we're still working on perhaps reading along with those functional skills and life skills. And then our third tier are those folks who really uh, have no communication system working for them. And so of course that's gotta be our focus. So most of them are using augmentative communication devices and different softwares. We use LAMP a lot. And so we are, are working with that group and helping them transition. So that's our education piece. We've got about 65 kids in our own school and we're supporting probably 65, 70 in, in other schools. And then we have our adult services. So that's the model that is, is evolving. Uh, we have some folks who are, we hate to use the word high functioning, but we'll, we'll use that for lack of a better word. People who are even working with us, who we're, all we're doing is providing some social coaching. You know, they, they may mm-hmm. be doing completely well and, and serving as a line therapist. We've hired them. Um, we've got others who, who just need some support in a job setting somewhere. But, but a great deal of our population needs some significant support, as you know, past the age of, there's nothing magic about that age of turning mm-hmm. 21 or 22. And so we're, we're designing as we go. We've got a group of adults who've been with us now, uh, going close to eight years that are, are working there. We've designed a business for them because we couldn't find a good business opportunities that met those needs out in the community. We've got people who can be great workers, but not for eight hour shifts. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or who can, and we're, we're, we're going to count success as somebody folded a shirt and there was no problem behavior. You know, somebody was able to sort by color independently up to people who are able to run print machines and, and interact with customers. So this printed by hope is our own entrepreneurial efforts to have a, a, a printing business. It's not silk screening, it's done digitally. So it's almost like running paper through a copier. You're running the shirts through and it provides just 
hundreds of different tasks at all different levels. Uh-huh. So uh, that's been our, our newest focus for our adults. I love that. You know, I just did an episode with um, Jackie Moore of Summer Shirt Project. Um, her daughter, Jordan, you know, the Be I've Kind Everyone shirts. Yes. Yeah. Um, they, and she, you know, gave me something to think about too, as far as the adult skills. She said, you know, there isn't anything they can't do. It just takes a long time. And you have to think about every single skill, like folding shirts, breaking it down to the very, very, very basic steps. Um, and one at a time and um, kind of just going through that. And she said, if you look at really everything in the world, any job, if you look at it from a perspective of the way our kids think a lot of times and breaking those things down into very, you know, specific little tasks over and over and over, they get so much better. And she said, you know, Jordan can out, out roll, outfold a shirt in anybody, you know, she could beat anybody in time and doing that. And she said, when we started, she maybe would fold part of a sleeve and then, you know, walk away and be done with it. And she really struggled to do that. And now she's so good at it. So I think it's just having patience. (laughs) That's the behavioral approach. You know, you break things down, you teach it one piece at a time. And Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons that we start transition earlier with our, with our folks who we know are going to be with us. Uh, for the long term, because with enough roadway runway to get those skills up, you know, she's right. We can we can get those tasks up to a competitive amount, but we also want to be sure that we're providing the time to continue to learn. Yeah. So the social skills, the independence, the things that are going to be quality of life changing. But we have told we've told numbers of employers if it's a position where we can break it down into tasks we can teach it. If it's a judgment call or it's going to involve a lot of, of um, interaction, that may not be the best thing for our, right. our folks, but we certainly have a niche in which we can be extremely competitive over time. Is it a, um, is it a tough sell or a tough approach to go to employers and say, this is what we would like? You know, if we can train these skills, are you amiable to, you know, having somebody from our facility come in and work an hour a week and, and build up to a couple hours a week or whatever, or what kind of feedback are you met with when you approach, I would assume you pick employers, you approach them based on the idea that this would be something that people could do very easily, yes. a job. Yeah. Well, we've, you know, there are a lot of kind people out in the world and <laughs> uh, we have been fortunate to, to find many of those. Our adult services are primarily in a campus in Woodruff, which is a small town. Okay. That's given us a chance to get the folks in Woodruff acclimated to our population. And, and so some of them have really stepped up to say, yes, we'll let us try, uh, try somebody in our local coffee shop or in our local hardware store. The problem really, Lori, is financial in that it, I, I think South Carolina is unfortunately representative of many states across the country. There are, there's just not sufficient funding to provide the support in a job that our adults need. Now, if we, there are, through voc rehab and other things, you can get people who will be fading out very quickly. But for many of our folks on the spectrum with more significant challenges, they can succeed, but they're going to need continued support. And there's just very little of that um, that would allow us to send somebody out into numerous places, which is why we ended up developing our own in-house entrepreneurial business so that we could 
better manage our staff, frankly, to, to help help these these tasks go on. Yeah, that makes sense. I just I just wonder because it just seems like even here um, where I am in Indiana, it's the day programs seem to be very lax. And it's not like I, I know that my son could do some of these tasks, just slowly being taught the steps like we talked about. But um, occasionally, you know, he's not going to want to work every single day. So I'd love for him to be able to go on adventures, go to the library, go to different places. But even those services aren't available. And again, I don't know if it's because of funding, um, if it's because that's a tough job sometimes. I mean, you might get punched or smacked or whatever if, you know, the kid or the young adult, I keep saying kids all the time, young adults, if they, you know, just have a, have a moment, a meltdown or whatever, and it's finding um, capable staff of managing behaviors that, you know, like as parents, we don't know sometimes that the behavior is going to change and what the trigger was. So it's, it's a tough role and they don't get paid very much. To, that's right. That's right. And that's that. one of our, um, our fourth program is community engagement. And that really is getting out in the community and building a network of support and, and financial support, advocacy support, emotional support for the autism community. And one of our big efforts, I think, coming up is going to be really looking at ways to address the adult system across the country, really, because mm -hmm. most of the funding, in fact, all that I have been able to find so far has not been uh, sufficient to, to hire the behaviorally trained people, those ABA-based right. people um, in a BCBA, a board-certified supervisor to oversee. And so, you know, you've got so many people who are doing the best they can, but they're, they're winging it without having those mechanisms that we know work with, with our um, kids, our adults on the autism spectrum. Yeah, it saddens me when we get into these discussions about adulthood because there's so much need for federal funding and a federal look at this whole thing. It's not, it shouldn't be up to each individual state to provide all of these services. I just don't understand why um, just federally, they don't understand the vast number of children who become adults that are on the spectrum, significant or otherwise, um, it's not like when they turn 18, the autism goes away and everything's fine and, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I parents can't even financially support carry, you know, having their young adult in their home the rest of their lives either. And they're getting a very small social security stipend. Um, you know, it's just nothing that they can live off of. So you're right. And, and I think another problem that we've got is that on a federal level, things are addressed sort of special needs in general. Yeah. And autism is, is an entity unto itself. Every, every challenge is, but in particular, there's just not the recognition. I don't think of the, the real deficits in communication and in social engagement. Mm -hmm. So most programs will just naturally treat social interaction as a reinforcement activity that, that everyone is going to enjoy and be invigorated by where for many of our folks on the spectrum, it almost feels punitive. And yeah. so, you know, that's their biggest challenge. And so we've got to rework the system to take into consideration what are the defining diagnostic characteristics of autism so that we can better meet the needs of this particular group. 
Right. I mean, the American Disabilities Act is great for protection that they can have employment, but that's that's pretty much where that ends for us because that doesn't even address, like you said, some of the some of the extra things that we would need to enable a safe working environment for everybody involved and all that would go along with it. So well, we just need to keep pushing. <laughs> exactly, because our our next challenge will be a residential option. Yes. And the same thing, we need to have consideration for what this particular group needs mm -hmm. and uh, the sensory issues, the, the inability to communicate often and the uh, struggle with social engagement. And so, you know, strict interpretations of the of the final rule that's out there really prohibit some of the things that we as parents won't. You know, if you're not allowed to have access, you're not allowed to have the residents next to services. They can't be adjacent to services. Every family I know wants that. You know, it makes sense for us to have a residence mm -hmm. right beside where we can provide employment and day services. So we is there's going to be the need to rethink how how this works in the future to meet the vast needs that are coming up mm -hmm. with the autism population. Now, is this um, the, the Project Hope Foundation, since you guys have done such an incredible job of, of kind of building this mold that can be modeled after by, by others, being that it's only in the South Carolina area, is there, are there plans to maybe do something similar to this in you know, even adjacent states to you? Or um, can people reach out to you guys and kind of you know, franchise, for lack of a better term, um, you know, this, this concept that you guys have put together? in their states if they had the means? Well, we have unofficially advised some people over the over the past two decades as to what we're doing. And, right. and that's exactly what we're looking into, Laurie, is how can we package what we've done to help people save time who are trying to move move forward in some services? And then uh, it, it just help spread what, what is working and maybe help people not make some of the mistakes that we made for these homegrown nonprofits that then become service organizations. So we're working on that. Our, our goal is to become a national presence, but not to have national uh, services ourselves. Right. I think we're gonna, we're gonna remain in South Carolina, primarily because the funding, as you alluded to, is state by state. Right. And so we've got to learn all there is to know about how to find every little hidden dollar in South Carolina <laughs> yes. uh, before we would be able to, to move anywhere else. So I think our, our, our focus right now is build this solidly in South Carolina and then hope to help people who want to, to do things within their own states and their own funding arenas. Yeah. It's sad that we do have to hunt and search and be sneaky and find all those hidden dollars. The fact that they're hidden is this most annoying part. As I mentioned to you before we started recording, I'm, I'm just in the process of filing all the social security stuff for my son and getting all that going. And these moms that um, I've met along the way that have 25, 30 year olds that have done this already, they have been so huge with the um, hidden details that I need to know about filing that paperwork. And there's so many secrets that nobody tells you and you don't end up getting the best benefits for your child because you didn't know. I didn't know I'm supposed to charge him rent, you know, <laughs> so right. I'm absolutely charging him rent. <laughs> so. That's one of the things we've done it unofficially, but we're moving into a more official model now is to have regular webinars. Zoom has allowed us to do that in ways that yeah. we 
for to have experts in South Carolina come in to, to help people sort of go wrangle the system and figure out what to do. It's all the little things that you don't think about that both financial and emotional and you know, how to prepare both you, your family and your loved one for these steps along the way. So we're, we're really appreciative of the experts who are giving us some time to educate our parents. Yeah, I think those would be so helpful. And even, um, you know, I get asked a lot of questions and I don't claim to know everything about our waiver system, but people just getting getting the waiver have no idea that, you know, pull-ups are covered if you need them. Um, there's just so many things and it's hundreds of pages long and such fine detail that, again, it's more digging. And I mean, it, we went years without knowing some of the things that would have been covered that we just paid out of pocket for. And I would love to save people from that, you know, those, those mistakes that aren't their fault, but, um, you know, it's, it's so expensive. Well, right. I mean, the services should not be dependent on what state you live in or what service coordinator you happen to have and how, yeah. how educated that particular person is in the world of autism. So yeah, that definitely makes work a to difference. be done for sure. Yeah, we well, do I, a lot of uh, coordination of service at Project Hope Foundation, but at least in South Carolina, we can't get paid for that service because if you provide another service, you can't do the the coordination of care. So, you know, all those little things where I'm thinking, you know, sometimes those people who are providing services are are the best to know what the options are. I think all these rules and regulations are based in good intent. The final rule, for example, making sure that it's an inclusive world and that we have people who are, are not isolated. Um, but unfortunately, when it plays out, often the reality is that it makes things harder for people rather than the intended good that, it, that they want to do. Mm -hmm. I think that's why it needs to be a whole bunch of autism moms writing the bills. <laughs> Or at least consulting on the writing of the bills with our Congress people. So, <laughs> because we know, I mean, exactly what we need right. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> we should leave it open-ended. We don't always know what we need. We just need the loophole so that we can get it when we need it. <laughs> we right. know we need it. Right. Well, it's just so impressive that, you know, I, I was able to connect with you. And I am just, I'm so impressed and inspired by moms like you and Susan who, you know, if you can't find something, you just build it or make it or do it. And um, I can't imagine the amount of like trial and error and stress and like just chaos that this probably was like to start. But I'm so glad that you did. I mean, is there anything that you would suggest to other parents who are just beating their head against the wall, trying to get services or trying to find things within their state um, and, you know, how to get started with coming up with their own therapies and plans and ideas? Well, you know, Susan and I have always been of the mindset, you know, you, you try everything and, and, and if it's not going to hurt, see if it helps. We have based that though on making sure that we're following whatever evidence-based best practices we can find um, as our as our grounding point, mm -hmm. uh, because you've got to have the data as well as the stories to then build that coalition sure. around you. We also have learned that um, through bitter experience <laughs> that sometimes people want to hear our this our stories and the depth of the desperation 
that's out there. And then sometimes you've got to, you know, put on that brave front and, and show the shiny lining of, of what is happening. And you've got to be able to, to read that to build relationships because people want to feel like they're making a difference. And I think you've got to show that they can at each little level. So sometimes it's, um, even though you might want to roll your eyes at a suggestion because you've tried <laughs> it many times and you know yeah. it's not going to work, you, you need to accept that with some grace and humility and respect because uh, someone is, is trying to help. So, um, and, and just it's such a, it's such a trite thing and, and we hear it all the time about self-care and I, I, I know so many of us think what in the world is that and who has the time <laughs> for it when I can't sleep and he's not eating, but it is important. I mean, it, we are not going to be good autism moms if we don't figure out to the best of our ability how to ask for help from those people who may require some training. Sometimes our families are not just automatically adept at what to do. Um, our church groups, our civic groups, you know, we've, we got to find some, some personal lifelines and, and figure the, the way to make, to sustain ourselves so that we can do a good job over the lifetime. Mm -hmm. Well, what does Colby enjoy doing? What are the things that, you know, as a 26 year old man, make him smile and make him happy? Um, does he, does he live with you? He does. Yeah. He does. He and I live together. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things, Laura, it's really hard to know because uh -huh. he doesn't have the ability to just tell me. He's never going to turn around and look at me and say a sentence like, mom, this is fabulous. <laughs> so it's feeding a lot of cues, you know, and, and it's hard to know sometimes, are we doing these things because it's a habit and he, uh, one of our, you know, he's expecting to do it or does he really love it? So when you said that smile, I mean, you know, as moms, that's what we're looking for. That really little brief glimpse of a smile that's real and, and you can say, okay, yes. So he loves to ride. We do um, rides almost every weekend. Uh, we get in the car and just ride. He likes to go and do things, go places, he calls it. Uh, he also, like most of our folks, likes videos. He likes to watch those little tiny snippets over and over again. So I am grateful for YouTube every day of my life, having gone through so many VCRs in the back, in the distant history where if you rewound, it was going to break those tapes. Yes. Oh, VCRs. <laughs> yeah, we're, um, I'm, he likes being productive. And so I'm very grateful that at this point now, I think he gets some real satisfaction in the jobs that he does and the completion of those jobs and being of service to people, which is delightful. You know, when mm -hmm. he, when he brings me something to drink unasked or gets out a broom to sweep just because he sees something on the floor, I think he gets a lot of, of satisfaction and pride from those things now. Oh, well, that's got to be so nice for you too, though. Just even something like that, just grabbing the broom when he sees something and needs to sweep it up. I mean, he learned that from you. So clearly he, you know, picked up a lot of the stuff you tried to teach him over the years. Um, I hope for that for Skylar. I hope that he just surprises me and shocks the heck out of me one day and just like does something because he's seen me do it a bunch of times. That'll be the best day. <laughs> well, I can, I will just encourage you that um, some of our biggest progress has been in the past eight years since Kobe turned 18. So it, it, it continues to happen. You know, it just, you, sometimes you have to look for it. And sometimes you often, always, you have to work really hard for it. But 
you know, we all continue to learn and, and, and these, these folks do as well, for sure. And I love hearing that because I've heard it so much lately and I never, um, I, I just, it, it brings a smile to my face every time I hear it, that a lot of parents tell me they're young adults turned 18 and like a light went off or they turned 20 and then all of a sudden they were more invested in doing something that they've been trying to get them to do for 10 years prior and they just weren't ready. And it's so important to, I say it so often because it's been said to me so often recently that their timeline is, is everything. It's not about what I want. It's not about when I want it. He'll do it when he's ready. Right. There's never a never like he, he will eventually will do whatever. <laughs> it's just on his time. And when he decides, and that's hard for a control freak like me. <laughs> yes, it is. Those lessons that we are not in control are the worst. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, is there any, um, anything, anyone living in the South Carolina area that's listening, what would be a process to reaching out to you? Do they just contact the Project Hope website? And um, if they are interested in seeing if their kids would be a good fit for the programs, any of the four core programs? Yes, uh, I, all the information is on our website, projecthopesc.org, like uh, Project Hope South Carolina Project Hope mm -hmm. SC. Um, we, unfortunately, like almost everywhere else, have waiting lists for most things, but, um, you know, we're also happy to try to be a resource. My, my contact information is on the website, as is Susan's. And we're, we're always happy to talk to someone and, and try to help guide them or give some encouragement. Um, also, plenty of opportunities to donate on that uh, website because okay. we do have a fundraising gap always between the cost of providing the services and the reimbursement that we get for those services. So that's a, a, a constant need for us. Uh, but we, we want to be a resource for those in South Carolina and across the country. We've certainly had, had plenty of people who who showed us things along the way. So sure. you're welcome to um, send us an email and and we'll see if we can help guide if, if there's anything we can do to help. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much. And I'm just so glad you wrote that article in <laughs> the magazine because I never would have probably been connected to you um, aside from that. So I appreciate it. And I will link up all the ways people can contact you. And um, I'm sure I'll be asking you a lot of questions <laughs> well, in the future too. too. Um, we have been through that guardianship process. And as, as we were saying, it's, it's not a fun one, even, even when you know it's the necessary thing. So mm -hmm. um, if you you know need to have a Zoom cup of coffee and talk about it. <laughs> and cry. <laughs> <laughs> I may just do that. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. All right. Thank you for doing this. Bye -bye. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and will tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.